Numerous reports indicate that manufacturing is emerged as the favored target of ransomware groups and hackers. In response, a new report from Industrial Media discusses the evolution of industrial cybersecurity, its current state, and the tactics hackers are using, including phishing schemes, malware, and ransomware attacks. It also details solutions in Army manufacturers with the knowledge and resources needed to win more fights on this highly complex and ultra-competitive battlefield. Download the industrial sector's new battlefield by going to manufacturing.net backslash cyber. Hi, I'm Jeff Rank, the Editorial Director of Manufacturing.net and Manufacturing Business Technology. Welcome to Security Breach. Late last year, we discussed LockBit's ransomware attack on Boeing and the ensuing cyber incident that resulted in a large quantity of the aerospace giant's data being stolen. One of the experts we tapped into in breaking down the attack and its fallout was Tony Pietracola. In addition to serving as the president of Agile Blue, he also heads the Northern Ohio chapter of InfraGuard, which works directly with the FBI on cybercrime. You can check out that Boeing episode in the archives. In addition to his extensive knowledge on threat actors like LockBit, Tony also has a tremendous amount of insight on a number of cybersecurity challenges that continue to plague the industrial sector. This includes ways to improve attack surface visibility, especially as hackers are beginning to combine old-school techniques with next-gen tools like AI. So with that in mind, here's some additional insight from Tony Pietracola. So, Tony, you mentioned something earlier on that, that Boeing felt they caught this early enough that it, it wasn't as big of a deal. Now, that could certainly be corporate speak. That could certainly be a PR spin. But could it also speak to the fact that maybe the industrial sector is getting a little bit better in terms of visibility and the attack plane? We're getting a little bit better at seeing things more quickly. It's such a huge issue as the attack surface grows. We have more connected devices. What's your take there in terms of visibility and, and maybe how we're improving? You know, you just you hit a great point there with connected devices. I mean, there's more connected devices now than ever. Tomorrow there'll be more than ever. Same thing. They just continue, you know, they don't, they don't add, they multiply in big numbers, the number of connected devices further. And, and this is backed up by data. This isn't just Tony, uh, you know, having a hypothesis remote work. Don't tell me it hasn't had a huge, in, you know, impact when people are working from home. They're not, I go to Starbucks when I'm on the road, Starbucks buy their stock because man, let me tell you that place is packed and everybody's <laughs> got a big drink. So well, hotel lobbies, the, I mean, when I'm walking up and down the airplane, uh, man, you see everybody cranking away. People are cranking away because we're trying to work faster because we're remote. Uh, I, I think that's a big thing. I don't think we're working smarter. So, you know, when you think about VPNs and not moving, we're seeing a lot of customers. Let me give you a couple examples. Moving files off corporate networks or SharePoints into private, you know, boxes or drop boxes. Emailing really important critical things to your personal email because maybe you can access that from home and you don't want to be on vpn not because you're malicious just because there's some negligence you're seeing a huge rise with that so so i do think that remote work is putting a huge spring into a lot of these things as well and by the way remote work isn't going anywhere unfortunately like it's it seems here to stay no great point so, Tony, you know, segueing a little bit, we've been talking a lot about the bad guys. You're involved with a couple of organizations trying to do a lot of good stuff. So maybe you could talk to us a little bit about, first, let, let's discuss Agile Blue and some of the work you're doing there. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it. Agile Blue is a, um, our goal uh, is we're a 24-7 security operations center and SOAR platform. So really, we need to detect cyber attacks before they happen. 
and we have automated technology that hopefully responds very quickly to mitigate um, our clients' risk. That's what we do. Um, you know, we're a global company, um, 24-7, so we see a lot of, uh, you know, crazy, funky things. <laughs> Coincidentally, I'm also uh, president of uh, InfraGuard in Ohio. InfraGuard's a great organization. It's a private business uh, joint um, uh, organization with the FBI where we can share information, data, skill sets, expertise, all about keeping critical infrastructure in the United States of America safe. And I, you know, we have over 80 some thousand members globally, or excuse me, in the United States, backed by the FBI, which is which is awesome. And the amount of data that we're sharing all the time is is tremendous. And by the way, there's a lot of data because if you think about it, yeah. everything's critical infrastructure, not just nuclear power plants and our grid, which people think, but what about anything? What about superchargers for people running electric cars? If those go down. How do you drive? How do you charge your vehicle? Like yeah. there's so much that's now become critical infrastructure because we're all digitized. It's not just a power plant or a grid. You can argue it's just about everything. No, couldn't agree. I think most of our audience is definitely familiar with InfraGuard, but if you're not, check them out, get involved. Great organization to uh, become a bigger player. Kind of talks with, uh, kind of coincides with everything we always talk about in terms of sharing more information, being as transparent as possible about a lot of these attacks helps us all become stronger sort of collectively in uh, our cyber defense planning and, and processes. It does. And I'll tell you what, what's even more beneficial as well. The sharing is great, have to have it. But understanding the, the mindset of the FBI and helping the FBI has to have the FBI help us as private business. And, hey, this needs to be a collaborative effort. If something does happen, you can't bury it in the pillow anymore. You yeah. got to bring it up. You got to get them involved and you got to listen to them now. Paying ransomware, I understand with, with the FBI, um, uh, you know, with, with their preferences. I get it. Organization has nothing. They don't have the backups. They can't get their stuff back on. It's a tough decision because how do you stay down without going out of business? So, you know, FBI brings a lot of education as well. It's not just the sharing of information. The education to these businesses is important. And I'll also say this. The organizations that are part of uh, uh, of InfraGuard are definitely of high consequence, not just big industries, small companies, too, that have a big play into critical infrastructure. Um, you know, the majority of people are, are employed by small and mid-sized businesses. That holds true for critical infrastructure companies. No, great points. Absolutely. You know, Tony, I'd like to get your thoughts on some different things that are coming up around the pike, some different trends and, and whatnot. One of the things we saw at the beginning of 2023 was sort of a um, – a downward trend in the number of ransomware attacks. I think there was a number of different variables involved there, one of which was probably those dwelling attacks that we talked about before. I think folks sort of took a break, but then we saw a huge spike second quarter, and it's been strong the remainder of the year. Do you think we might see a similar dynamic going into 2024, or are the hackers just going to sort of keep plowing ahead? Um, I Something tells me they're going to continue to plow ahead. I think there's too much going on geopolitically, macroeconomic-wise, where where this is becoming extremely lucrative. Uh, it's paying big bucks. So I, I mean, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to have a lull. I think up. And let me give you one more reason why. Back then, we also didn't have the advent and the publication of ChatGPT, which has now led us into some interesting more attacks. Not necessarily pure attacks. I'm not saying that. I mean, they're here coming. Fraud has been on the uptick. 
deep fake video audio on the uptick because AI is making that super easy. AI is also allowing more social engineering to happen at a greater scale. So you might not have a pure old school ransomware attack, but and, and Lockbit does social engineering as well. Yeah. The more we can peel back the social engineering, I think that just leads obviously more into uh, the ransomware. So you're going to see, in my opinion, way more of it because we have. And the Vegas stuff, by the way, was a social engineering attack as well. Also old school calling into a help desk asking, you know, reset my password. Yeah. The crazy that worked. But if that proliferates, it's not going to proliferate just to proliferate. There is motives behind that that equal money. And I think I think that's only going to make it easier. I'll also say this. ChatGPT, there's a lot of research going on of how effective it's creating phishing emails, creating code for potential obfuscation and things like that. ChatGPT, really good stuff. Love it. We, you know, we're utilizing it, we're testing it, but so are the bad guys. And, yeah. you know, they can get around the sensors, so to speak, or the know the safeguards that have been put in place and and those case studies are out and we've actually if you went to black hat there was a number of case studies showing that um during some of the presentations at defcon no i couldn't agree with you more in terms of ai it's a double-edged sword without a doubt there's a lot of positives we can take and becoming stronger but yeah so many ways that the uh, the hackers can use it for for the bad stuff that they like to do so yeah and they're and they're really good at that aren't they like they don't <laughs> mess around like they're aggressive man i'll tell you they're aggressive yeah. and smart and they have, you know, I, I in college, I played football and I was a defender and I was a safety. I was the guy way at the back. Yeah. I always wanted to be a wide receiver, though, man. Let me run as fast as I can. Let's see if that guy can stop me. Unfortunately, my hands weren't very good. So I played <laughs> defense, not offense. But hey, that's beside the point. So you fit that whole stereotype. Defensive backs play defense because they can't catch like right receivers. All right. I get it. Can't, can't catch. And we are aggressive people. We like to hit. So uh, we want the guy to maybe try go. to catch the ball so we can, you know, kind of knock it, knock it free. I was a defensive guy myself, so I can definitely appreciate that. Um, you know, looking at some other trends, Tony, uh, we could talk football as much as you want, too. That'd be great. But we'll talk uh, cybersecurity here. Talk about some of these other trends. One of the things we've seen is just this proliferation of new cybersecurity tools. A lot of them really focused really specifically on the industrial sector for obvious reasons. This seems like it could also be a double-edged sword because it's great to have a lot of options, but you can also become inundated with all these tools and maybe not have the right stuff doing the right things. I'd like to get your take there in terms of maybe some best practices or some guidance in terms of selecting the tools, putting them in the right places, and, and things you've seen. You know, that is a, a fantastic question and one that will probably change uh, all the time. Now, look, a layered security approach is critical. Like, you can't do one or two things and say, good to go. A nice layered approach uh, helps. Here's something that we see. Folks, you know, when you look at privileges and access, folks thinks once things are set up, that's just the way it is. The one thing we see in a big exploitation, nobody monitors the access and the privileges, right? So like you do all this to set things up and then are you monitoring, hey, the people who should be accessing X, Y, and Z, are they the only ones monitoring X, Y, and Z? Are they doing other things? Are these accounts doing things they shouldn't be doing? Um, so that layered security approach, monitoring the access privileges you have, of course, the ridiculous things that we continue to talk about, like these types of things, these are the type of approaches that need to be put together 
because there is no fail safe. And I'll say this on this Boeing, if they only got some old email, they segregated in, uh, that's fine. You know, that's, that's really thinking through mitigating your risk. Meaning if somebody gets something and this is all they get, they're really getting nothing. So segmentation, I was just at a client this past um, Monday, Tuesday, an airport that we work with. So mission critical airport, rail, police, so it's safety. And the topic is segmentation. The more we can segment, right? In terms of even micro segmentation, the more we can reduce that risk, the more we can mitigate the risk. And now if something happens, they're getting a piece to the puzzle, but not the puzzle. And if we could do more of that and be smart with that, um, I think that actually really uh, diminishes what these folks can do. Now, here's the problem with that. The larger an organization or the more complex, segmentation's tough. It's expensive. It takes time. And people talk about it. It's, under, it's in their security plan. It's in their plan. But I'll ask you, you're shaking your head, Jeff. You probably see this. People just don't get around to it because it's, it's hard. It's not easy, right? It is hard, and especially in the industrial sector, we, we run into this all the time, whether we're talking about establishing frameworks or um, putting together inventory or um, put, you know, establishing patches and implementing those. The main focus of an industrial facility or enterprise is to produce stuff. It's to make stuff. We want to put product out the door. So doing some of these other security elements, even though they're part of the bigger picture and they're becoming a bigger, more important part of that whole enterprise structure – it still stops them from doing the primary function of what they're there to do, which is make stuff. So it's an ongoing challenge. It is difficult. And that's, that's why I like talking to guys like you who can offer us some insight on how to balance those things because it is, it's a struggle to get internal buy-in. It's a struggle to get those internal plans moving forward. And that kind of leads into something else I was hoping we could talk about, which is cybersecurity is almost becoming the same type of conversation as plant safety. Everybody agrees. It's super important. We got to keep employees safe. We have to do all of these things. But when you keep talking about it, it almost becomes white noise. Everybody's like, yeah, I got it. I know. I know. I know. And then they go out and write their password on a post-it note and leave it on their computer. So <laughs> what are some things that you've seen that have maybe been better practices to help internally get people to realize they play such an important role in cybersecurity and how that can sort of trickle upwards in helping the whole, inter the whole enterprise? You know, my whole career has been in tech, and I think the biggest thing where tech fails is it's tech by people in tech. So sometimes we talk like an Apple and Jobs, Steve Jobs, did, I mean, name a company that did better to break down technology so that my grandma could understand what the heck he was pitching, right? That's what made him so uniquely special. Same thing in cyber. When you think about the C-suite, when you think about boards of directors, cyber makes their heads spin or they just think it's something going to hack into you and how's our cyber, good, bad, whatever. I'll tell you what's helped. And I, 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 this isn't my company, so I can plug it. Things like um, security scorecard, um, tools like that, that can actually take what, what your security posture looks like and give it a letter grade or give it some kind of scoring system where somebody can sit down and doesn't look great. I mean, I went to college. Uh, C got me by, but I didn't <laughs> share that with mom. Like, okay. So some of these scoring mechanisms are really helping our customers. Now, are they, you know, hundred, are they gospel? Not at all. But I think they help start the conversation where people could sit back who aren't technical and be like, I mean, we really got to do something here, especially 
given where you are, if you're industrial, if you're part of DOD or whatever that supply chain might be. So Jeff, I, it hard, it's a hard question to answer. Somebody asked me earlier today uh, in another interview I was doing, are boards of directors now scrambling? Are they staying up late at night? I'm like, I think only over earnings reports. I still don't see the yeah. directors still that concerned. But I'll tell you what, they're going to start being when you see some of this fraud with AI. So no, it makes a ton of sense, especially with the plan for becoming more visualization focused. Focused, you've got KPIs that are up on screen so people can see how they're tracking towards their goals. So putting making cybersecurity a part of that whole data reporting and, and those types of of, uh, of um, dashboards makes a ton of sense, and people, keeping more people involved in it should get greater buy-in. I would hope makes sense. I would hope as well. And, um, you know, just this is anecdotal. Um, this isn't a hard study. I do see cyber bu budgets keeping up. It's not like people are like, hey, we're probably going to cut X, Y, and Z. Uh, we're hearing, hey, we're probably going to stay here and probably add a little extra for A, B, and C. And so we're starting to hear that a little bit more. I do think it's resonating. And by the way, with the SolarWinds CISO officially being charged, that right there officially met put every CISO and every CIO because a lot of companies don't have CISOs and then virtual CISOs on record to say if things go bad and you don't do the right thing you could be held personally liable that's going to make some people really start getting the c-suite involved and probably start pulling the alarm instead of saying hey i think our cyber is good no, great point. And again, it leads back to that conversation, which, yeah, we don't want to give the hackers too much credit and too much publicity, but we have to talk about them and what they're capable of doing and just sort of having this greater level of accountability throughout the sector. So it makes sense. So, Tony, this has been awesome. We've talked about AI. We've talked about ransomware trends and other elements. Anything when you look ahead that might be a big trend or something that we need to keep in mind as we look at cybersecurity for the next year, year and a half? I think a trend that I've seen started over the last couple of months, and I don't think this is going anywhere. Companies, so people that work at companies are plugging PII, they're plugging IP, they're plugging uh, patient information, they're plugging confidential company information into GPTs like chat, GPT, like BARD, other ones as well. And they're not doing it because they're malicious. They're looking to way see where that can help them with business. And they're, they're putting so much confidential information in. Well, when it goes in, it can also come out. And if it goes in constructed, it can come out deconstructed to do the opposite. Uh, and we've seen actual customers doing this and saying, what do we do now? And you can't call G chat GPT and be like, hey, I need my information out. There you go. That thing's in the model now. So. We're seeing a lot of that, and I do think that could present backdoor problems going into 2024. I hope it doesn't, but come on, how can it not? That That's a trend we're seeing a lot of. So can you keep people from going to ChatGPT? No, and you shouldn't. They should use it responsibly, but you can't plug confidential IP or patient information, which we've seen, um, or uh, your earnings results, like Samsung did, before going public. And that stuff is now part of that model. So, I mean, does that kind of, this leads to a bigger question, I guess, beyond just cybersecurity, but is that going to be, maybe not the downfall, not being that dramatic, but definitely limitations placed on open source AI when it comes to these language models? I mean, is that kind of where we're trending? I mean, it could. I can tell you this, you know, uh, personally, we're using some Anthropic Cloud models, uh, LLMs, and, and some of the things we're running. And, and you're right. You know, one of the reasons maybe we chose that over some other ones is because of that, um, because we do want to analyze some of the data we have 
and you can't trust it from a public perspective. Now, the tools are so vast, the computer shared, but you got to know what you're sharing. Otherwise, it could really put the organization in a tough way. And by the way, how many organizations as of right now do you think have AI or chat GPT policy? I'd have to assume basically none, yeah. uh, but that's something you're going to start seeing because that, that, that risk needs to be mitigated as well. Well, a lot of this stuff, I mean, this is another one of those things, those pieces of low-hanging fruit you were talking about. I always use blocking and tackling as the analogy. That's where we can start. If we can just start there with getting some of this basic stuff done and build up from there, because I think a lot of, especially in the industrial sector, cybersecurity isn't something they run from, but it just seems so daunting to take on at times that try to, you know, use your analogy, eat the elephant, drink the ocean, whatever, start with the basic stuff and we'll be okay. I, I hear you, man. I hear you. Um, Liz, like you said two minutes ago, everything's connected. There's more and more devices and the ransomware gangs, or I should say the, uh, the hackers, they're pretty aggressive. So, you know, these things are on, uh, on the up and we've got to do our best to uh, hopefully uh, mitigate what they do. Thanks, Tony. For more information on the work Agile Blue does, you can check them out at agileblue.com. And thank you for joining us today to catch up on past episodes. You can go to manufacturing.net ien.com or mbtmag.com. You can also check Security Breach out wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple, Amazon, and Overcast. And if you have a cybersecurity story or topic that you'd like to have us explore on Security Breach, you can reach me at jeff at ien.com. For Tony Pietricola, I'm Jeff Ranke, and this is Security Breach.